Welcome, everybody, to the Always Hope Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Mario Sacasa, and I'm doing something a little bit different for you today. Today, I am fielding questions from listeners. On the website, faithandmarriage.org, there is a little tab that says, Ask Dr. Mario, where you have the opportunity to ask me questions. Now, if you are going to ask me a question, you need to know a couple caveats. The answers that I'm giving are going to be solely for an educational basis. There's nothing therapeutic that I'm offering here. You're not going to get free counseling from me on air. But I recognize that as a professor and as a lecturer, that if somebody has a question that they are asking, then everybody in the room has that same question, or at least a large number of people in the room have that same question. So on this bonus episode of the podcast, we're going to have the opportunity to dialogue with one another. So I'm answering a couple questions that I've received from listeners. If you would like to ask your question and have it be listened to on a, or heard on a future episode of the Always Hope podcast, then please go ahead, click on the Ask Dr. Mario tab, and I look forward to getting some more questions from you guys. All right, so let's get into this. All right, first question comes from Jacqueline. This is a long one. Jacqueline says, hello, Dr. Mario. I found about you through the podcast you did with Father Josh and absolutely loved it. Thank you. Shout out to Father Josh. And the idea for his show, Ask Father Josh, is the inspiration for this particular episode. So I rip off the best here. Um, Okay, so she says, and absolutely loved it. I have a question uh, about myself. Um, My question and concern have to do with my current boyfriend. Me and my boyfriend have been dating for about two years. He loves me and I love him. I've been Catholic all my life, however, not practicing for most, most of it. For the last four years, I've been learning more about my faith, the church, and what it means. In these last four years, I've completed confirmation, first confession, and communion. God bless you, Jacqueline. Great to know that you're having this, this great conversion in your life. She goes on to say, but then I went off to college, and in college, because of the lifestyle that goes with it and all the different philosophies and ideologies, I guess I was drawn out a bit. Questioned my faith, and and I went to a Catholic college. Well, that's crazy and <laughs> not encouraging in the least bit. Uh, she goes on to say, however, even though I hadn't gone to reconciliation since my first communion, I still went to Mass every once in a while, not taking communion. Recently, I've graduated college, came back home with my parents, and since they are practicing Catholics, I got into the routine again of going to Mass every Sunday. I started learning more about my faith and what it meant. Then I went to confession again, and because I went to confession, I didn't take it lightly, and I wanted to be a practicing Catholic and wanted to try my best to live like the saints. God bless you, Jacqueline. God bless you. What a what a great encouragement in your conversion in trying to live your life well. So here is the question that she's asking. She goes, with part of the time I was that I wasn't practicing, I did commit the sin of premarital sex with my ex and current boyfriend. This is my issue from the moment I began dating my current boyfriend. We have had sex uh, often until this year when I realized that I was what I was allowing to happen. And I proceeded to tell him I no longer wanted us to have sex because I wanted to wait to marriage. He's not Catholic and he doesn't understand where I'm coming from. I've tried to explain it to him that practicing my faith is important what the church teaches about sex. However, he thought that me not wanting to have sex with him meant that I didn't love him anymore. He told me one night, I love you and I hold you. I want to hold you. I want to kiss you. I want to do these things to you. But you're telling me I can't express my love to you in this way. To him, premarital sex is innocent, so he doesn't see it as bad. I finally told him that sex is going to be detrimental to our relationship, and he said that it wouldn't. 
We continued our relationship. However, I still don't feel like he gets it and I'm unsure to get through to him about my choice. Uh, doesn't mean that, that my choice doesn't mean that I don't love him. It means that I love him even more. Please send advice. Well, thank you so much for asking the question again for your vulnerability. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who have a conversion in life that have to wrestle with this type of situation. Now, again, let's just kind of backtrack on a couple of things, right? First and foremost, remember that when we're dating, we're, we're not married. And dating, as I understand it, is really a process of discerning a life together with this person. That dating is an opportunity for you to be able to determine whether or not this is the right person for you. And it seems like you've had this tremendous conversion in your life. And so you're asking yourself, like, what is right? What is wrong? Who should I be with? Who, who should I not be with? What are my values? And a lot of those things change. And I get that. And so your concern is whether or not your boyfriend is kind of keeping up with you. So again, first and foremost, kudos to you for, for, for being committed to your faith and wanting to put Christ uh, first in your life. Now, when it comes to this question about sex, again, like what you're learning is that the, the church teaches that sex is wrong um, in before marriage, excuse me, not that sex is wrong. Sex, of course, is, is beautiful and, and it has its time and its place. Um, but the reason that the church says that premarital sex is wrong isn't because it's sex, sex negative, but rather it's actually sex positive. The church says that there's such good when it comes to our sexuality and, and such significance that happens when we express love to another person in this way that the, the significance is, is so profound that it can only logically, to, in its totality, only really make sense in the context of marriage when you have committed yourself to, to loving another person. Because connected to the intimacy and the bonding is also the openness to life. So when, when that whole uh, picture together is, is how we define chastity, uh, chaste sexual behaviors kind of in, in a nutshell. Okay, so anyways, you're aware of this, Jacqueline, uh, because that's the conundrum that you're facing with your boyfriend. Well, I would say you have to continue to set boundaries, uh, not staying up late, not putting yourself in a situation where you think that you can uh, succumb to the temptations within yourself. And you have to continue to, to try to express to him what this newfound desire means inside of you. Uh, we hope that, that he respects that and he sees that and he's open to the changes that you're making in your life. And if he's not, again, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, I'm not, I'm not really sure how to say this, uh, you, you do have freedom to, to break up. This isn't a question of, of whether you're married now, whether you've already made a sacramental union with this person. This is a question of whether or not you're, you're still dating and what you're looking for in new relationships. So again, part of the reason that, that practically speaking, uh, is also encouraged to wait before marriage is precisely because of all the bonding, all the hormones, all the, the connection that happens uh, when we share the sexual embrace with another person. This isn't some kind of kids play thing. I mean, it's not just kind of, oh, whatever, this, this casual encounter. I mean, I, I know for some people it is, but for, for most people, there's a tremendous amount of, of hormones that are, that are fired that are not just pleasure hormones, but bonding hormones, connecting hormones. Those are things that are supposed to draw us together to this other person. So, so when we're just dating, in, in the possibility of breaking up with that person, it makes it very confusing because, and very difficult because we've connected with them in a way that is profoundly intimate. And so, uh, again, uh, kudos to you to wanting to pull, pull back the, the restraints there, um, but continue to talk to him. I would say if he's open to, to reading a book on chastity, 
to read that together, to watch videos. There's so many great resources out there. The Chastity Project by Jason Everett. Uh, Father Mike Schmitz has great videos on these things. Father Josh's podcast, he's addressed this many times. There's so many great speakers out there who are communicating this message in a beautiful way that I would recommend that maybe you watch some of this stuff with him and see if his heart is open. See if this conversion in your life is leading to a conversion in his life as well. But you can't force it course, you can't force people to change the way that you've changed. You can't force the gospel down people's throats when they're not ready to receive it. Um, But all of that is part of your own discernment. So I would encourage you to meet with a spiritual director, with a priest, somebody that you trust to be able to navigate these conversations with. And, And if you do fall on occasion, then the grace of the sacrament of reconciliation is always there waiting for you. Uh, So continue on your journey as you are moving towards sanctity, as you are desiring holiness in your life, and as you're desiring to make real changes that will set you up uh, for, for future, better, healthier relationships. So thanks, Jacqueline, for asking your question. And let's get on to the next one. Charles asks, if a couple divorces and both are believers and there was no infidelity, then one remarries, does that mean that the other is free to remarry? Um, because the other one got married? Um, it's a great question, Charles. And I know, obviously, right now, unfortunately, the the pains of divorce are very real in our society. The frequency of divorce is incredibly high. Um, and, and circumstances are certainly that I get, you know, that some people, it is the right decision is to, to separate from a, a bad relationship and move forward with it. Now, the question about freedom to remarry is certainly different than the question of divorce. But when it comes to being free to remarry, what the church teaches us, and it comes straight from the gospel. I mean, Jesus is is very clear um, about allowing divorce for the hardness of hearts. Um, that that the bill of divorce that that Moses allowed was because of the hardness of hearts. From from the beginning, it was not so. And so, if we do remarry. Um, then we are committing adultery. And that's the challenge that Jesus is speaking about. And so what the church has has tried to do with this process um, of determining whether or not the marriage is sacramental. Um, Again, we have to kind of look at this, and I know this nuance, and this isn't to be a loophole or anything of that nature, but but we can look at marriage kind of at two levels. There's a, a natural legal union that takes place when you get married, you get married by the state. And the state certainly gives freedom for divorce. You can separate and dissolve that union. It's a, it's a legal contract. Um, and, but, but that definition of marriage is only one definition of marriage. The, the fuller definition in a Catholic sense is that when you are married in the church and you follow the rituals, uh, the way that they are, they are set out to be followed, then that marriage becomes something more than just a natural union. It becomes a sacramental, a supernatural union that then reflects God's love to his people here on earth. And so when it is a sacrament, that sacrament is only broken at death. And so death do us part. And so the question that the church tries to investigate in the annulment inquiry and the annulment process is whether or not a sacrament took place. And so a declaration of nullity is to say, not that the not that we can dissolve a sacrament because we can't dissolve a sacrament. Rather, it's trying to determine whether or not a sacrament even took place. And there could be a whole host of reasons for that. One, the ritual wasn't followed uh, appropriately. And, and again, not to be legalistic, but, but to recognize that that the ritual, uh, the liturgy is, is part of the invitation by God 
Um, and there's something beautiful that is there. So if the liturgy isn't isn't followed or isn't used, so like if you get married outside of the church, for example, um, where you don't have a dispensation to get married out um, at the, uh, the, 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 the beach or the mountaintop or whatever it is, again, it, that's, that's, a, that's a way to investigate um, whether or not uh, the, a real sacrament kind of took place. Now, other conditions could be at work as well. And there's a whole host of, of things that are there. Maybe there was an intention to, to never be faithful to the other person, or there was a, a desire to never have kids or, or to never be respectful to the other person that you could have gone up on the altar and done all the motions and done all the right things. But interiorly in your heart, there wasn't a desire to really want to live the promise as it is meant to be lived. And so what the church does through tribunals at the dioceses is to do an inquiry and to determine whether or not that, that there was real, real, real uh, intention to, to live the marriage in accordance with the teachings of the church. Now, we should also say that that there should have been some fruit that the sacrament took place. There, we should have seen something that would de- declare that. So again, I, it's not to be, I know it can come across as being legalistic um, or, or a loophole, but, but rather it's supposed to be quite you know, honestly, something, something freeing, something to, to reflect in on the relationship and to do kind of a, an autopsy on the marriage, so to speak, and to be able to say, listen, was this really of the Lord or not? Was this really a sacrament? Did we really uh, live and reflect God's love to his people? Or was their intention uh, to, to never live that way? And, and if that was the case, then the church declares that a sacrament never took place. Um, and uh, and then the couple certainly is is free to remarry. Okay, um, let, let, let's think about this again. You know, because the the, the this is really really important. You know, because often we we could talk about spiritualities and different things here, but listen, the, the church believes the Christian message is an incarnate reality, and so our 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 biology, our our the physical, the natural world points to the supernatural world. And so the signs and the symbols that we hold to are important as well. Um, This isn't just some spiritual experience that we're having here on earth and we're just kind of disembodied spirits that kind of happen to be sharing a physical time together. Uh, that that's not the the theology that the church purports. So why is this important? Because then when it comes to the sacraments, which we believe then to be efficacious signs of God's grace, the sign of the sacrament, the physical dimension of the sacrament, has to correspond with the invisible reality that it course that that it's pointing to. Um, so in, in an example that's used often here, that at least I've heard, I think by Christopher West and by others, is that if we were to baptize with mud, for example, um, that wouldn't uh, correspond to the reality of of God's cleansing of us. So the the sign has to correspond with the invisible reality. Similar when it comes to the Eucharist, Jesus uh, chose bread and wine. You can't a priest can't say the words of consecration over um, you know a, a, like a corn tortilla chip and lemonade, right? I mean, it like it has to correspond. There's a reason why Christ chose bread and wine to be the, the tools, the substance that his body and blood would be transformed into. So we need both the, the, the substance, the, the physical, the, re, the, re, the, the reality there, the liturgy, the prayers, that all of that is then what points towards the invisible reality of, of Christ's love for us there in the Eucharist. Similar when it comes to marriage, that uh, the union is of such sacredness uh, that we need to be able to have both um, so, 
Anyways, I'm just getting redundant at this point, so I'm sorry, guys. But I hope that you're understanding what I'm getting to, which is that that unfortunately, like just because somebody divorces and leaves doesn't mean that the other person has the freedom to go ahead and just remarry and start dating another person. Um, circumstances are what they are, and I, and I know that they're difficult, and I know that people leave under difficult situations. And so my encouragement to to you, Charles, if this is your situation, or if you're asking about a friend or or anybody who's listening to the show, that if you find yourself that you've recently been divorced, my strongest encouragement to you is that even in 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 the pain, as you're kind of still kind of progressing and healing from this, reach out to the church, begin the annulment process as soon as possible, so that you find yourself in a so that you can know um, if the previous relationship was not a sacramental union, you can move forward with freedom of conscience. Okay, that you can move forward with the capacity to be able to date and to really discern a future relationship. And there you can learn from the mistakes that you can learn from what went wrong in the previous relationship and try then to apply those lessons to to have a healthier, more productive and and fruitful relationship. You know, it's similar to, to what Jacqueline's question was that, listen, we're all on a journey. All of us, every single one of us, every single one of us are on a journey. And we all are trying to make sense of the of the the trip ups and the trials and the sins that we fall into in our life, and that's okay. Listen, God, God has mercy on all of us, and we all have to, we all have to kind of come to a point of of conversion and, and reconversion inside our hearts, and and a reassessment of the values, and trying to ask within ourselves, like, is this the life that I want to live? And as we kind of move forward with this, well, well, that is going to affect the relationships that we have. So if if you have um, uh, just come to a divorce and you really feel that, that 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 was the right decision and that's between you and the Lord, then move forward with getting the annulment done. Get it out of the way. Figure out what went wrong and learn from that um, so that way you can be free to then move into the relationship uh, that God does desire for you, that you can move into the marriage that will be holy and sacred and sacramental. Um, because that ultimately then is is what God's desire is for us. So thanks, Charles, for the great question. And let's move on to the next one. All right, Matt asks, as a father of boys, how do you balance physical play with safety? I have three boys and I'm always trying to find the line between healthy roughhousing and unhealthy aggression. So how do you moderate their competitiveness and teach them how to harness it in a healthy way? Now, I have to say that I've already answered this question in a blog post uh, a few months ago, but I really wanted to readdress the question here because I've been chewing on it and thinking about it ever since it kind of came up. And the reason I think about it is because, I mean, Matt knows that I I have four kids. I talk about it on the show often. I'm married and I have my, my four children. And this is this is a big issue in the Sakasa house. You know, the boys are rough. They they like to fight. They they like to do all those things. They get very aggressive. They get it out. And uh, and I like to jokingly say that we just don't own nice things. I mean, it's just what it is. I mean, if I had a if I had a running list of like all the things that they've broken in the house, I mean, it would be quite long. So anyway, so I'm grateful for for Matt asking this question, and I wanted to address it in this format on the podcast. Um, when it comes to just kids in general and raising their kids, last night I had the opportunity to to give a lecture to to parents about uh, parenting in the digital age. Now, 
I think that so often we fall as parents that our our main job is to protect our children. We have to protect them. We have to we have to protect them from from the dangers of the world. We have to shelter them. We have to protect them from from all the troubles that they can fall into. And the reality is that protection certainly is part of the job as a parent, but protection isn't the sole part of our job as parents. When it comes to parenting, we we. And I say that obviously, like, like nobody call the cops on me, okay? My kids are well fed. Let me just kind of get this out of the way, all right? So, so we have a home, and I love, and I want to keep my kids safe, okay? So I'm not saying like let your kids just go run out on the streets or run on the highway or whatever. But my point is this: the the long game. We must always keep the long game when it comes to our children. And the long game is this: like I want my kids to be healthy, functioning adults. That's my goal. My sole goal as a parent is to encourage my kids to be able to make whatever decisions that they can make in life so that they are a healthy, productive member of society. And then at some point that I could have a great relationship with them as as adults and really be mutual and sharing our life together. And then hopefully at some point at the end of our lives that we can worship God for all of time and eternity together. That's what we're trying to do as parents. Okay. Now, the reason I say that is because sometimes with situations like this that Matt's speaking about, and, and I know this even in my own life, that we can really get bogged down by, by the day-to-day trials of parenthood. And then we see the kids and, and they're getting into trouble, they're doing something, and we come down you know, really hard on them and yell at them or whatever it is, and we lose our patience with them. And again, we're human, I get it. But that we come down hard on them because we feel like if I don't fix this problem right now... <laughs> You know, they're going to be a drug addict or or something worse is going to happen, you know, and uh, it, it and I think we always kind of pull to the worst case scenarios. So uh, I, I want to be uh, encouraging here of all my parents who are listeners of the show to just relax and to remind yourself that your kids are, in fact, listening. They're listening. They're watching. They're paying attention. And it may take them a while. But that's okay. See, aggressiveness among boys actually is something that you want them to have. Again, appropriately. This isn't toxic masculinity. I'm not saying that they should use that strength to go for their own selfish gain. That's not what I'm saying at all. But that they're going to need that aggressiveness aggressiveness because life is hard. And they're going to need to go tackle things in life. And they're going to go, they're gonna need to, to, to love a woman someday and raise kids of their own. And they're going to need to know what it means to go get things done in life. And so that isn't something that we want to squelch or, you know, kill when they're a child. We want to be able to encourage them appropriately. So what that means is that that means it's going to be a trial and error. And that means you need to be very patient with yourself in your own uh, understanding of aggressiveness and your own discomforts with it as well. Now, again, there's a line. Kids are jumping on the bed. They break the bed. Okay, so what do they need to do to fix this? What? If they're outside and they, they break something, what are the natural consequences uh, that follow said aggressive behavior? Okay, that's fine. You could teach your kids, okay, if you're roughhousing and you break the window or whatever it is, there has to be um, some type of restitution for that offense, not retribution, right? But some type of restitution. If they are outside playing baseball and they knock a ball into their neighbor's yard, well, then that money needs to come out of somewhere. And that money should come out of their birthday or, or, or savings or their allowance or whatever, they need to earn that. And that's okay because they need to learn. That's part of it. So so there's a balance here between, you know, uh, in, encouraging uh, 
aggressiveness and bullying, that's not at all what I'm saying, or aggressiveness that becomes bullying. Don't get me wrong. That's not at all what I'm saying. But encouraging aggressiveness that, that really is virtuous, that is courageous, that is fortitude, that helps them then go stand up for uh, the, the, the people who are being bullied or to go stand up for uh, others who, who are voiceless. That is the type of aggressiveness that we want to encourage. So what that looks like sometimes in the home, you know, hey, there, there's going to be a little bit of a pecking order and, 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 you know, maybe you might have a couple alphas in the house and, and that's fine. That's really fine. But you want to be able to kind of massage and navigate that in the home. The last thing I want to say here is that you want to be able to then have healthy conversations with each of your boys about what those relationships look like. What can also happen here is jealousy. And if you find that one of them is falling into to jealousy with the other person, then how do, you, how do you have that conversation with them? And to remind them that your love for them isn't contingent on how successful they are or on how productive that they are, or if their sibling is, is more successful or smarter or is better athletic or whatever it is, that that doesn't mean that you love them any less. And rather, you need to be able to find then the places that they truly shine. So parenting is tough. There's no easy way around it. There's no quick fix here. But simply put, that we want to honor each of our kids the way that they are created. And if we can see the way that they are naturally inclined, then we want to encourage that so that they can shine. And, and that really is just kind of that, that, what I just said, isn't just parenting advice. That's business advice. That's marketing. I mean, that's like you put yourself in the situation where your strengths shine, buddy, you're going to do great. And that's what we want to encourage our kids. So if we believe that within ourselves and we find ourselves being in a job where our strengths really shine and we're finding life and freedom, that's great. When you're a kid, you don't really know that yet. But us as parents, we want to try to, to help them the best that we can because we can see the potential that's there and, and we have to take the long game, okay? So we, we have to be patient. We can be frustrated at times. Certainly, we have to come down and, and, and be disciplined when, when discipline is, is, is important. But at the same time, we want to channel that in a way that's appropriate. And so what that looks like specifically for your boys, Matt, is you would know. You're their dad. You would know. Um, Final thing I want to say about this, the, the movie that I, I absolutely love, and I know, I know it gets kind of ribbed on, um, but I really I really love Zack Snyder's interpretation of Superman. I know I'm crazy. I probably just, everybody probably just threw their phone out the window right now. This is, this is when I lost credibility of my audience is when I talk about Man of Steel and the fact that I actually love it. And the reason that I love it is because I love Jonathan Kent's portrayal in that movie. I think Kevin Costner does a phenomenal job in that film. And at the very end of the movie, there's a great sequence where you see uh, Jonathan and Martha, they're out uh, on a field. She's putting out clothes and they're, they're kind of drying out on the cl uh, you know, clothesline or whatever. And a young Clark is playing in the clothes and he kind of gets caught with something and he's like moving around and he's got this red cape behind him. And it's beautiful. And it's supposed to be, of course, like a foreshadowing of him end up being Superman, but there it is as a boy. The reason that I love that scene is because it reveals Jonathan's heart, the father's heart. And the father throughout the whole movie has taken the long game. Every conversation he has with Clark as a teenager and as a young adult is always focused on who is he going to be? He knows, Jonathan, the dad knows that there's something special with this boy. 
And I, and he may not know exactly how that's going to manifest or exactly in the way that's going to, to, to look, but he knows, he knows that there is something really important that's going to happen with this child. And so he holds to the long game. He holds to it and he holds and has in his patient and recognizes that, that at some point, the truth about this child will be revealed. That's it. That's the message for each and every single one of us as parents, is that at some point, the truth, the, the reason for the existence of this eternal soul in this child, in this human person that God has blessed me to parent, will be revealed. And it is my job as their father to help them to understand that and to encourage them and to remind them that even in adolescence, that the decisions that they make will affect them. And that they must always ask themselves, what is the type of person that I want to be? And so when it comes to their aggressiveness, again, there's a value there. There's a, there's a virtue that needs to be cultivated. You're not going to see it cultivated at six. You're not going to see it perfected at 11. But you hope when they're 25 that there's some maturity that's there. And that's the type of disposition that we must always maintain as parents. The long game. The long game. Remind yourself. That if you're getting frustrated by your kids, if there's something off with the family, if you need to have a family meeting to readdress the rules of the house, that's fine. Do the, not just fine. Those things are absolutely important. You got to clamp down sometimes. But if you find that you're coming down too hard all the time, then you need to relax a little bit. And you need to remind yourself that your kids are a tremendous gift and a blessing to you. And that at some point, you're going to understand why they are created the way that they are. So thanks, Matt, for the question. And for those of you who, who read my response previously in the blog, uh, thanks for putting up with me again as I, as I readdressed it. I really felt it was something that needed to be uh, talked about once again. All right, guys, I hope that I haven't bored you yet. Um, so I got one more question that I want to tackle. And this question actually isn't one that came from a listener. This one I proposed uh, to John Djack, who is the uh, the podcast, my last podcast on Father Walter Chizik. He's the editor of the book uh, With God in America. And we had a wonderful, wonderful conversation about Father Walter. Well, as I was editing the episode and, and, and preparing to, to launch it last week, I had one lingering question that I really wanted to ask him. And so I sent him this email and I wanted to take this as an opportunity to tell you what he said to me. So here's the question. I asked him, Often after we have been hurt by a person, institution, or situation, we have a tendency to want to right that wrong and to seek justice, to fix the injustice that we've experienced because, you know, we've been hurt by it. So we want to change the system. We want to call out the person publicly, et cetera. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and that's something that I talked about in my episode of Father Berg about being hurt by the church. And in his book, uh, Father Berg's book, he has a whole chapter about discerning a call within the hurt. And so for him, he was one of the people who was very vocal uh, against uh, the, the Maciel and the Legion at the time, and he took a lot of criticism for it. And so there's a lot of stories like that. I, I recently read a story about a mom um, who has started an online bullying campaign uh, because her daughter, and I think this is Megan Meyer's mom, um, you know, committed suicide, unfortunately. Um, and so she doesn't want the pain of that to affect anybody else. She doesn't want another mom to do this. So she's she's out of her pain, has done something good, which is that she's starting uh, this campaign to stop online bullying. And, it, and it's quite beautiful. And so I, I get that that is a, a normal and a healthy response. But this is my question that I asked him. I said, but that wasn't Father Walter's response when he left the USSR. 
When he came home, he focused on articulating the spiritual lessons he learned in disseminating those lessons, rather than trying to take down the Soviet Union. Fighting the evils of communism was not the mission of the last 20 years of his life. And I say, even in my own experience, my tendency would absolutely be, let's take those suckers down and bring freedom to everyone who lives under the Iron Curtain, but not Father Walter. How come? What insight could he offer? And why is it that Father Walter didn't choose to come back and spend the last 20 years of his life lobbying um, against the Soviet Union? Okay, so this is the response that John gives to me. And it's quite beautiful. First and foremost, in all of our hearts, when we have been hurt by a situation, we do have to discern whether or not God is calling us to fight the injustice. In Father Walter's situation, he discerned within himself that that wasn't the case. And the reason is this. John says that Father Walter always knew, even when he was in Russia, always knew who the fight was really against. And then the fight isn't against people or governments or situations, but that the fight is against the powers and principalities. That the evil of this world, certainly that we we can commit, but at the end, like our fight is against is against the evil one in temptation towards sin and anything that can pull us away from God. That what we're always trying to do is to try to, hopefully as Christians, we're trying to lead people to heaven. And so Father Walter always took that approach. There's stories of him being in the gulags in the work camps. And one of the things that they did when they were up there is that they would build chimneys for, for the people of Russia. And some of his his uh, um, prisoner, co-prisoners, his fellow prisoners in the work camp would do a sloppy job with, with the, the chimney as a way to kind of stick it to the man and say, you know, the Soviets are putting us here. And so let's kind of do this. And John says that, that Father Walter's response was that he would always make the best chimney possible. And when his fellow prisoners um, ridiculed him of that, he would say, this chimney isn't about the Soviet Union. This chimney is going to bring heat and warmth into somebody's home. And so I need to do the best that I can do to help them. So um, always kind of having the right perspective about who is it that you are really serving and what really is our battle, right? What does it really mean to love? Now, at the same time, he also wasn't quiet about his disagreements with the Soviet Union and the way things were done. And John then shared that uh, one of the things that Father Walter did was that he kept in touch with the people that he connected, many of the people that he connected otherwise in the gulags or even in his three years that he was kind of free, quote unquote, free to live in the country with restraints, um, that he connected with many of those people and sent pictures back and forth of their weddings and, and different things. Well, all of that was was illegal. And the reason it was illegal is because the Soviet controlled all the mail coming in and out of the country. And so people asked, well, how were you able to get these pictures or how were you able to have these correspondences? And Father Walter kind of slyly responds, um, the Soviets have their way and we have ours. <laughs> you know, it's just, this is beautiful, right? There's a recognition that, that there's a way to kind of have these workarounds, um, you know, kind of in life that aren't immoral, certainly, but that are the right things to do. So. Um, my point in asking the question is that I know that many of us have been hurt and have faced situations that we want to kind of come out of that and say, you know what, I'm stick it to this guy. I'm going to stick it to this person. I'm going to stick it to this institution, whatever it is. And that's a place of discernment within you. I don't think it out of vengeance or out of your pain, should you just go ahead and give it to people? No. But if there is something that needs to be articulated, if there is some, some truth that needs to be communicated, then speak that truth. You have to speak the truth. I think Jordan Peterson is, is very clear about this, and, and I've spoken about him before, and we'll continue to speak about him on, on this show. Um, very clear that we need to stand up and speak the truth. 
But even when we do these things, that we recognize that, that if we do them, we do them because we do them in charity. And we do them because we're not necessarily fighting the other the, the people. See, Father Walter recognized that even the Soviets who were imprisoning him, all of these people were had succumbed to temptation of the evil one. That's what he felt. He felt that they were people who just didn't know better. And that echoes Christ's message, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they they do not know what they're doing. Right? That's what Jesus said on the cross. And so Father Walter also lived in that same way and recognized that his fight isn't necessarily against people. Certainly they're confused. Um, and certainly he stood up against injustice when it needed to be stood up. But at the end of the day, his desire was for the conversion of their hearts and the conversion of the hearts of the people that God put into him. So he would say mass um, quietly and, and offer spiritual direction quietly, privately to his fellow prisoners there in the gulags, which is quite remarkable. And then coming home, rather than putting his attention to taking down the Soviet Union, he put his attention to disseminating the spiritual lessons and then responding to every single letter that he received from people who wrote to him because of the book. It's amazing. Amazing. And so again, if we can reconnect with what we're trying to do in life, and for those of us who work in the church, we have to recognize that our job here is always about the salvation of souls. When it's about anything other than that, when it's about my own personal gain or, or not pissing off people, excuse my language, when it is about you know any, anything other than the gospel, then we have to be cautious with that. Okay, So discern, discern within your own heart. What is the truth that God is inviting you to speak? But discern in your heart, you know, why are you really motivated to speak this truth? Is it for love, for charity, for conversion? Is it because God is inviting you to, to, to right or wrong, as in the case with Megan Meyer's mom and cyberbullying? It's very noble. Um, or is it just for your own, for your own kind of uh, vendetta or, or vengeance? So those are the things that you have to kind of discern within your heart. Okay, well, that brings a close to this special episode of Always So Podcast. If you have a question that you would like for me to answer on a future Ask Dr. Mario type episode, then please go ahead and go to the Faith in Marriage website. That's faithinmarriage.org. Click on the Ask Dr. Mario tab. You'll see my face there uh, on the website. Click on that, find the link, and go ahead and ask a question. I love being able to interact with my listeners. Thank you to everybody who answered the questions on the survey. An episode like this actually is coming straight from the survey advice. One of the advice or the, the encouragement that I received was to do more episodes where I'm I'm talking and, and people seem to, to want to hear that. I guess people want to hear what I have to say. So, so, so there it is. All right. God bless everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, faithinmarriage.org. Ask Dr. Mario. Subscribe to the show. If you have more questions, please don't hesitate to ask. I would love to be able to answer them on a future episode of the Always So Podcast. Hope everybody's doing great today. God bless you. Be good and take care. Bye-bye.